All right, hello and welcome to a new episode of the Jack Hallows Podcast. I hope everybody is keeping well and healthy. Before we get into today's episode, I do want to just jump into the quick formalities that I like to do before the podcast. That is just to remind you that if you are a return listener, please consider rating the podcast five stars out of five if you haven't already and you do enjoy the show. really helps me get the podcast out to more people and the more reach I can get, the more people I can help, which is kind of the idea of this podcast. Um, And alongside that too, if you are a repeat listener and you do only find out about new episodes, on my mailing list or on Instagram. That's awesome, but it'd be really cool if you could follow the show as well. That way you'll never miss an episode because let's be honest, with social media algorithms, which is actually something we're going to get into today, I never really know who actually sees my stories. And with emails, I guess people open those less and less and less because to be transparent with all of you, mailing lists can be difficult. (laughs) So follow the show, leave it a five-star review. That's the way to make sure that you do not miss an episode. And it's all free. You get to support me. It's free. You never miss an episode. I can keep making really high quality content for you all, hopefully. And yeah, we all win. So today, what I wanted to do is I just wanted to give some advice to all of you who listen to this podcast, because I feel like there's a few core groups of people who listen to this podcast. There's a lot of coaches and personal trainers, but there's also a lot of people who aren't coaches or personal trainers that maybe are considering being coaches or personal trainers. And then finally, there's people who just really enjoy fitness. They have no interest in working in it, no interest in being a coach, being a PT, but they have fitness goals for themselves. And potentially, they're looking at investing in a coach or a personal trainer, and they potentially want some advice on what to look for. And I kind of feel like I've been doing this long enough now where I can give some advice on all these different kinds of things. So today I just wanted to give a few pointers to you all on uh, advice for those of you wanting to go into the fitness industry and being a personal trainer, being a coach, some of the things that I've learned over the last couple of years. And then wanted to touch on social media content as part of that, because I know that's a huge part of our world now for better or for worse. Personally, I think it's for better, even though I do have a cry and complain about the algorithm quite often to my partner Denise and she hates it. Um, And then on top of that, I also want to give some advice for dieting and fat loss and some advice for muscle gain as well. So kind of want to give a little bit of something for everybody. So I'm going to start with the advice for those of you wanting to go into the fitness industry and become a PT. I'm going to give kind of three main points on all of these topics and just see where this episode takes us. I may still be here in an hour talking about being a new PT. We never know. Uh, We'll see how we go with this. So The first tip that I want to give to anybody who is looking to go into the fitness industry, become a personal trainer, become an online coach, whatever it is you want to do, is that your certifications that you do initially, and I know this is pretty much a worldwide thing because I've talked to a lot of coaches from a lot of countries, they are pretty pretty shit. Um, And I say that not because I want to put you off doing them because you need to do them. And I think they're very, very vital. But just because I need you to really kind of understand that continued education is then where it's at. Okay. And believe me, I have no continued education to sell you. I'm not selling you anything here. I'm trying to make you realize that what you learn in those initial certifications is very, very much surface level. And you can always then spot the trainers, especially nowadays on social media where everything is kind of put out to the world, who haven't really done any continued education. They've just done their certifications, whether it's the Cert 3 and 4 in Australia that we have over here, um, whether it's the certifications in America, the PT level certifications in the UK. You can spot the people who have only ever done the certifications and then never gone and done any continued education. So, I highly recommend that all of you out there who want to be a PT, want to be a coach, once you finish those certifications, 
Spend the next two to three years acquiring as much knowledge as possible and applying it on clients. So this is why I really think that face-to-face PT has so much value for being a good coach. And trust me, I've met a lot of coaches who haven't done face-to-face PT and they're really, really good coaches, okay? So to drop a name, give an example, um, Kimmy, who I used to work with at Atlas, she's a really, really good coach. She's doing a really, really good job with her clients. She's doing a really, really good job of making a presence in the industry for herself um, and she started online and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. You know, if you are somebody who's a very quick learner, who's very empathetic and very good at understanding people, then you're going to be okay. But I do think for the majority of people, starting on the gym floor is going to give you a real leg up. And that was what I did. You know, I'm still on the gym floor for 10 hours a week. I still do 10 sessions a week. Um, For me, a big part of that is social. I I want to be around people a little bit uh, because online coaching can get very lonely when you're just talking to a computer screen for most of the week. Um, But I also find that it's a place where I can refine my skills. I can sharpen my axe continually because if I learn something and I want to apply it to a training program, I need to be able to talk that through. I need to be comfortable to give that to somebody when I'm not there. And the only way for that to happen is for me to test that in person and be able to see how well I can cue that and how well I can deliver that to somebody in front of me. Because if I can't do that, then I'm not going to be able to do that for somebody who is in the UK or in Dubai or in Italy or in the States or wherever else I've got clients, right, online. So, I think spend those first couple of years learning a lot and trying to apply it and finding styles of coaching and cueing that really work well for you, okay? And for anyone who wants specific examples of places that I recommend, of courses that I recommend doing that I've done myself, please shoot me a DM on Instagram. Just say you listen to the pod and you know I'm happy to give you a full list of every single certification I've done because there are a lot of them. And also... Don't sniff your nose up at doing private mentorships or, you know, working with a coach, right? Like I coach a lot of coaches. um, And one of the big things they say to me is not only do they get good results, but they also then start getting better results with their clients because there's a lot of stuff that maybe they haven't thought of yet or stuff that they haven't learned yet that I then apply in my programs that they then look at and they go, oh, what was that? Or what was that? And I'm like, okay, well, here you go. Here's the answer. Um, And I like to be very giving with my clients who are coaches and kind of help them level up as well. So that's my first tip is spend the first couple of years learning a lot from people that resonate with you in the industry and apply it as much as you can to real people in front of you rather than just having it be theory. Because at the end of the day, as important as knowledge is, knowledge is just potential and application. Application is your superpower. Okay. Number two, set boundaries for yourself. Okay. There's this really dangerous kind of idea on social media at the moment of this like hustle porn. And um, I went to a Gary Vee talk on Friday with my best friend, Musti. And um, there were five speakers alongside Gary and every single one of them talked about the importance of working really hard, doing as much as you can, but also knowing when to take the foot off the gas and put it onto the brake for a little bit so that you don't burn out. And I think that's some very, very important advice because if you look at personal trainers, the average lifespan of a personal trainer, not like in life, but as a career, is about two years. 
Um, and that's not very long at all. That is a really, really short career. You know, I'm in my, I'm like year six or year seven or something at this point, And I feel like I haven't been doing this for very long. So when I look back at my second year, I was still working in the first gym that I was at making $32 a session, you know, which is crazy. And if I'd given up then, then I wouldn't be anywhere near where I am now. Um, so set boundaries for yourself. You know, a lot of people will tell you, you need to be on the gym floor from 5 a.m. till 9 p.m. talking to everybody, acquiring leads constantly, acquiring clients constantly. You don't need to do that, okay? You need to pick the times of day that you want to work and you need to be present at those times of day. So if I could go back and talk to myself from when I started at Fitness First a couple of years ago, I would say to myself, dude, you only want to work really early in the morning up until about midday. And then in the afternoon, you want to start working on launching this online coaching business. So be ever present at Fitness First between the hours of 6 a.m. and 10 a.m. Then you can train and then you can go off and work on your online business. You know, I was doing sessions at, my Mondays were weird. Like I would get into Fitness First and I would start at 6 a.m. I'd train people till about 9, 9.30 then I'd go have a coffee, I'd send some emails, whatever, I'd then go train, and then I would go to my girlfriend's apartment, and I'd chill there for an hour or two if she was there, and then I'd come back at 3 p.m., and I'd do sessions again from 3.30 p.m. till 8 p.m., and then I'd have to be back, you know, at 6 a.m. the next day, and that, that wasn't a sustainable way to live, and you can do it for short periods of time, absolutely, but like, as much as you want to get in front of as many people as possible, don't force yourself to do more hours than you need to do. Focus on becoming such a good coach and getting such good results with the clients that you have that you can then justify charging more money so that you don't have to do 65, 75, 85 sessions a week. And look, some people really enjoy it. They really enjoy the really long days. They buzz off it. They love having the numbers in front of them. That's okay. If that's you and you really like doing that, then please do it. You know, I know a couple of coaches who run very successful business models models doing that. Um, but for me, it's not something that I've ever wanted to do. I've never wanted to be the busiest uh, coach on the gym floor because the busiest coach on the gym floor doesn't necessarily mean the best coach on the gym floor. And for me, that's what I want to do. I want to be able to be one of the best coaches I can be and be busy enough that I can make enough money off this to live, to scale up and to do what I want to do in this industry. And for me, working 85, 90 sessions on the gym floor a week, that's not me. You know, I think to be completely transparent with all of you, the most I ever did in terms of like hours on the gym floor was I think I did a few like 55 to 60 hour weeks um, and I just kept getting sick. I got really, really sick. So make sure that you set boundaries for yourself so that you can actually take the foot off the gas every now and then and still be able to have the brain power and the physical power to actually push forward and make progress in your career because at the end of the day, coaching and personal training. It's not a hobby. It's a career, okay? And you can really make some really, really, really cool strides and really cool waves in this industry if you manage to do that. Then the third, the third, <laughs> the third thing that I want to touch on is kind of just said it there, but approach personal training as a business, you know, be a serious business person. Don't let people fuck you around because there's still a lot of people out there who see personal training as not a career. They see it as something that you do on the side because you like training, you know, and I, I've had this conversation with so many trainers, so many clients, you know, clients turning around to people and saying, so when are you going to get a real job? Or, you know, what are you going to do when this runs out and all that sort of stuff? And, that's not the point, you know, that, that isn't the point, you know, to be completely transparent with you, I know personal trainers, I know coaches who make a lot more money 
than some of my friends who are in the corporate sector, who are lawyers, who are bankers, who are doing these quote unquote real jobs that you go and, you know, do four or five years of uni for, right? And each to their own, like you can do what you want in life. But for me, this judgment of personal training and this idea that it's not a serious career, it's a load of bullshit. You know, as I said, you can do some really, really cool things in this industry. You can make some really, really, really awesome money, um, but you need to learn how to run an actual business. You need to actually structure yourself as a business. You need to understand how to do that. You need to get very good at saying no. You need to get very good at valuing yourself appropriately with your pricing. You need to get very good at setting boundaries and you need to understand what actually goes into a business. You know, so to give you an example, when I started at Fitness First back in 2021, um, I'd never done a rent model before in a gym. So for those of you who are listening who aren't personal trainers and don't understand like what I mean by that, there's usually two different avenues that you can go down as a personal trainer. You can either charge whatever the fuck you want, which is what I was doing at Fitness First, and then you pay a specific amount every week in rent to rent the gym. So at Fitness First, it was about 400 uh, Aussie dollars a week in rent. So everything else was take home for me. Or there's also models whereby the gym will charge a set price at the front desk. So people will buy personal training packages, which is the model that I came up through. Um, So people would pay about $72 for an hour session, which is criminal when I think back on it. That's just nothing at all. Um, And the personal trainer would then get paid a cut and the gym would take a cut. So where that then falls down is while it's kind of cool because you don't have to pay rent, you know, you're always capped at a point, like you're never going to be able to increase your prices. The more hours you work, the more money you actually give up. So if you did on this model, uh, if you did 30 hours of personal training, you know, you were making about, what's that like $2,150 off personal training packages, but you are only getting paid $32 for an hour session out of the 72. So you were then missing out on about Oh God, that would, that, yeah, you were missing out on a hell of a lot. So if you're doing 30 sessions, you're doing, you're missing out on about $1,200 out of that $2,100. So you're still getting paid 900, which is great. But like, instead you can go to a rent model, which is what I then did. I went to fitness first and I was charging a hundred dollars uh, per session. I bumped the prices up a little bit. And you know, if I only did 20 sessions in a week, so I did 10 less hours, I was still taking home about $1,600 out of that. So it was much more of a proficient model. For me, I prefer that model because it teaches you that you you have to hustle, you have to do what you have to do. Um, you have to get your business in check a little bit quicker, um, but it's not for everyone, right? It, it can be very stressful. But um, basically, yeah, when I did that, I had to learn how to really like run a business and I had to learn how to budget and I had to learn, you know, what are, what are going to be my ins and outs and I had to like create all these flow charts and stuff and you know it's um yeah you have to take yourself seriously but also when you do that rent model people are going to haggle you over price you know you're going to sit there and say my session rate is $100 and they're going to go well what if I paid you $90 how about that and I'll warm up myself and it's like well you're going to warm up yourself anyway because I don't do that part I just do the session so it's $100 you have to get very good at knowing what your price is setting your price and not making any adjustments to that price something you could do is if you want people to sign on for more than one session a week which ideally you should be getting them to do a for them benefit but also be for your benefit too so that you don't have to try and sign any more clients than really you need 
is to say to people, I'm charging $100 for one session, but if you do two, I'll do it for 180 instead of 200. So you're paying $90 a session, and if you do three, then I'll charge you $250 or something like that. So they are saving money, but you're filling your diary, you're making more money, um, and you're not having to go out and find more clients to fill that. And then you kind of build a better relationship with people. But if people want me to touch on this sort of stuff a bit more, I'm more than happy to do so. Um, you know, if you're trainers or coaches out there wondering how you make next steps, please let me know. I'm happy to do more podcasts on this sort of thing. I don't want to go into too much detail here. I'm going to move on to the next thing just so that I don't bore people who aren't personal trainers. But yeah, learn how to run a fucking business because they do not teach you that in your certifications. They teach you basic anatomy, very basic programming, how to look a client in the eye and say good morning. And that is about it. Okay, you need to learn how to build a business. And I'm always happy to be as transparent with people as possible uh, with how I run my business and I'm always happy to point you in the direction of people who help me with that uh, like Jenna Davies for example uh, over at Big Appetite she's fantastic I couldn't recommend her enough um, so the next thing is going to be content okay so social media and you'll notice that my three pieces of advice there for personal trainers didn't revolve around content because content is very important nowadays. It really is. As much as we don't want to say it, it is important, but your follow account does not influence how many clients you have. Okay. So for me, I capped my online books at 40 clients. So when I had 10,000 followers, I had the same cap that I have now at almost 20,000 followers, right? So it doesn't mean I've got more clients and I haven't launched like a subscription or a program or anything like that. I haven't launched a product. So I don't have lots of people just coming through the turnstiles. I have a bigger lead generation pool, absolutely. But at the same time, if I'm giving a really good service and my client retention rate is really good, which mine is, I don't actually have that many spaces that constantly pop up. It's not like every four months, uh, every three months, sorry, I need to get 40 new clients at all. So if I had to add a bonus one for the personal trainers, it's get very good so that you retain your clients. You don't have to keep signing new ones. Um, but content is important, especially if you want to be in the online game, you need to be making content, whether that's social media content, whether it's having a mailing list, uh, whether it's writing blogs, whatever it is, whether it's making a podcast like this, whatever it is that you like to channel your energy into, make content, make it really good, put it out there and just get started with it. Okay. So that's my number one advice for content is just get started. Okay. Because this is the thing. And when I went to this Gary Vee talk on Friday, like I'm very fortunate. Okay. I'm, I am, and I will admit this openly to absolutely everyone. I am very fortunate that back in 2021, I was already starting to play around with making content. And I had been for about a year. I wasn't very good at it. I was fucking terrible. Like I've on purpose left all my old content up on my Instagram. And a lot of it makes me cringe, but you can go back and you can scroll through my posts and you can see my old content, my old swipes that I used to do, my photo content, the photos of me without a shirt on, just getting my rig out. Cause I didn't know what to talk about at the time. Uh, somebody asked me on my Instagram Q and A the other day, what was your first post? My first post was just my stock photo that they used to put me on the website as a personal trainer when I first started giving my five tips for fat loss. Okay. And to be honest, that's all content needs to be. Right now, I look back on it and I'm kind of embarrassed about it because of the, the quality that I put out now because I really enjoy content creation and I really enjoy leveling it up. Um, but that's what content needs to be. It just needs to be 
something. You just need to put something out there that you know a little bit more about than somebody else, okay? And that was what the big thing on this talk on Friday was. And it was interesting seeing so many people in this room. There's like 10,000 people in the ICC center here in Sydney. And seeing a lot of these people who are so unwilling to start making content because they're so scared of somebody judging them, right? And people are gonna judge you. Your parents might judge you, your friends might judge you, your coworkers might judge you. Who gives a fuck, okay? Who gives a fuck? And this goes to everybody out there. This isn't just for personal trainers. This is for anybody who wants to start making content for their relevant industry. Who cares if somebody starts judging you? Because guess what? Guess what, okay? If I had given up back when people were judging me at Fitness First, back when people were looking at me and rolling their eyes because I was making content with Musty and we were going and filming workouts or we were filming exercises or we were doing something a little bit silly for a skit or something like that. If every time somebody had rolled their eyes at me or looked at me and been like, ugh, or one of the other personal trainers had made a comment being like, why don't you just get another session? I wouldn't be where I am now. I'd probably still be slaving on the gym floor trying to get 60, 70 sessions a week, which isn't me and burning out really, really badly. And then I wouldn't have had the opportunity to learn from a lot of the people that I've learned from over the last couple of years, to meet a lot of the people that I've met over the last couple of years, to have some of the opportunities that I've had over the last couple of years. So making content can change your life. Genuinely, it really can. And it gets annoying sometimes because there's algorithms and there's all this sort of shit and people get concerned about shadow banning and quality of content and the money you have to spend to get a camera. Like, don't worry about any of that. Just start, just start making content because you might find that the content that you like making doesn't matter with algorithms, doesn't matter with video cameras, doesn't matter with this. You might like podcasts. So you might just upload onto a podcast uh, website, a podcast service and you don't do any social media content. You just do the podcast. You just push that out. You might be somebody who really likes writing blogs somebody who likes writing emails, somebody who likes putting out Canva things, right? Like it doesn't have to always be high quality video content like what I do, for example. You know, you can make whatever the hell you want to make. So just get started and just get into the habit of practicing and uploading. And that's number two is be consistent. Be as consistent as you can, okay? You don't have to upload every day. People say this to me, right? Like I upload every single day and I have done for about two and a half years and there's a lot of days where I upload two times now and sometimes even three times. Um, you do not have to do that, <laughs> okay? And I don't advise that you do that. I'm doing that at the moment because I'm really trying to grow. I'm really heavily trying to grow in an, in an environment on Instagram at the moment really where growth is quite difficult unless you hit it lucky and you go viral um, and the content that I make being more educational, very much less likely to be viral, very much more likely to get a decent amount of views, a decent amount of likes if it goes well. But, you know, it's probably not going to get two, three, five, 10 million views, hundreds of thousands of likes and bring in a ton of followers. It probably isn't. Um, and that's something that I have to accept. And it's why I've been trying to show a bit more of my personality on Instagram with some of the skits that we do, because I'll be honest, I'm somebody who doesn't take things too seriously in life. You know, I do just kind of like faffing about a little bit with my mates sometimes. And, and some of that is the content that then gets pushed out, which is really cool. People get to see that side of me as well. Um, but be as consistent as you can with what you do. So be very consistent in your messaging, consistently show up as yourself. Don't pretend to be somebody else. And I cannot stress that enough. Be yourself and upload at a routine and a schedule that you can be consistent with. So if that's once a week, start with once a week. If it's three times a week, start with three times a week. If you have a shit ton of content that you've made and you've backed up because you've just been too scared to post it, start posting it and do it twice a day. 
Get it out there. Push it, push it, push it, push it. Send it to me. I'll come and have a look at it. I'll give it a like. I'll drop you a comment. I'll see how like maybe you can improve it. I'm always happy to talk to people about content. Just get it out there, please. Please start getting it out there because you have no idea who's going to see it. You have no idea what opportunities it might open up for you. And you know what? If your first post only ever gets one like, then that's one more like than my first post ever got when I started making content in the first 24 hours, okay? So start putting content out there and, you know, just start pushing it. Start believing in yourself and start just being yourself and consistently posting. The next thing is to be prepared, okay? So once you get into a groove of starting to consistently post, the best thing you can do is start preparing your content ahead of time and filming it in batches or creating it in batches, whatever you're doing, okay? So when I film content, for example, I only film one day a week. That's why I'm often in the same outfits, okay? Um, I tend to film one day a week. Lately, it's like two days, three days after I've just had a haircut so that I look nice for the filming um, because, you know, don't at me. I like to look nice for it, right? Um, but, you know, just basically me and Mustafa go to world gym uh in moor park and we film for three hours we do a three-hour block and however many videos i get in three hours it's however many videos i've got that i can post for the next week and potentially a little bit beyond okay um so if i manage to film 15 videos I've got enough content for the next two weeks if I need it. I can just post once a day. I can pull back a little bit on the amount of content that I put out and I'm good. I'm good for the next two weeks. And then if I get lucky and we can film something in between, we film something in between. Um, but generally, I'll look to get somewhere between 10 to 15 posts done in that three hours. And then that is my content, yeah, for the next seven to 10 days. And then the next week, we'll do the same thing. The next week, we'll do the same thing. The next week, we'll do the same thing. Um, and yeah, I basically just get as much batch created as I can, um, but I prepare it all beforehand. I write down the ideas that I want. And now recently I've started scripting before I go and I've started thinking about camera angles before I go. And I've started to get really involved in it. You don't have to do that. You just have to write down the ideas that you've got. And then you just go in and you record them. Okay, get yourself a decent tripod, put your phone on it, sit it down, record it. Or if you're going to do Canva slides, write down the topics that you want to do and say to yourself, I'm going to get five Canva slides done in the next two hours. And that's your content for the next week. If you're somebody who wants to do podcasts, write down your ideas, set a 10 to 15 minute timer for each podcast and record three. Okay. You've got an hour, record three. Any more than that with podcasts, you're probably going to run out of headspace, but just record them, get them done and then put them out there. Okay. So be prepared because if you fail to prepare, you will uh, be preparing to fail, believe me, with content. You need to just have the ideas, get them done, get them out there, okay? It makes this, the process so much more streamlined. And it's something that working with a guy called Simon Booth over in the UK, uh, Simon Strong Media on Instagram, highly recommend him if you want to get into the content game, um, that he's really taught me working with him. You know, he's been an Instagram coach for me, basically. And he's been teaching me about vetting my content, auditing my content, preparing my content. And it's been very, very, very useful. Um, so that's something that I really recommend. Um, if you are looking at doing content, I'm going to try and get him on the podcast in the next couple of weeks and see if he'll, he'll be able to share some of those for you. Um, and actually, a, a fourth and final bonus tip. I know I said I was only going to do three and I've done four for both so far. But accept your fucking context, okay? The algorithm exists. The algorithm is probably going to work against you. It is what it is. Um, complain about it if it makes you feel better i know i do but at the end of the day just accept the fact that it's there and you can either fight it and you can get shitty with it or you can try and just kind of post stuff that you're passionate about put it out there learn from mistakes learn from posts that don't do well learn from things that do do well and start putting that all together and over time you will start having more consistent success with your content okay so again consistency 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 and don't be afraid to try new things because if you just accept your context and accept that there are algorithms and there are things you have to think about 
that, but that nobody really knows what they are anyway, and that thinking about them is just going to stress you out and piss you off, then you'll be in a much better place with content. So to move past kind of being a PT now and just move to some general advice, because I feel like this is kind of some some good stuff to talk to you about as well because i think pts and coaches will then also get some kind of idea behind my methods as well which will then hopefully help them too but it'll also help all of you listening who aren't coaches who aren't really interested in content get something out of this podcast so we're going to start with dieting and fat loss i'm going to give you three pieces of advice to help make fat loss easier for you number one is actually going to be the same tip that i just gave to people with content except your fucking context Okay, accept your context. Don't sit there and whinge saying it's harder for me than it is for this person because they've got more hours in a day to exercise. Okay, well, you have two options here. You either accept that context and you do your best with that context or you make changes to change your context. Okay, those are the two options that you've got, right? I've got clients who literally, I look at their routine and I don't have a fucking clue how they do it, but they get incredible results. Okay, because they accept their fucking context. My client Jess out in the States, we did, while she was in the Pretty Woman musical, we did one of the best dieting results I've ever got with anybody ever. She looked fucking phenomenal. And then she did it again this year for her more recent musical. But she's living out of hotel rooms, different city every week, every couple of days, unable to cook a lot of her own food, barely even had a microwave. And we got one of the best dieting results that I've ever got with a client because she accepted that context. She gave me as much information as she could about that. And I helped her shape her dieting result around the context that we were in. It was like, okay, you're a very active human being because you're doing these shows. So we probably don't really need to do any cardio. So that actually really helps. But also you're very active and you're tired quite a lot. So gym sessions are gonna suffer. We're in a different gym every fucking week. So programming is really difficult. So let's just focus on some core um, main movement patterns that we're gonna do. And you can use whatever machine you want to use you can use dumbbells and a bench we can get it done um, and then on top of that with calories we're going to try and find some of these core staple foods that you can take with you you know we're going to look at things like oats we're going to look at things that don't require a lot of cooking and a lot of preparation and we're going to make sure that we've got them handy we're going to keep a protein supplement and take that with you we're going to keep a creatine supplement and take that with you we're going to prepare because again fail to prepare, prepare to fail. So make sure that you are actually accepting your fucking context when it comes to dieting, okay? Because that's gonna make things so, so, so much easier. And that may even mean that your context is you do not diet right now, okay? Um, slight trigger warning here, but I suffered an eating disorder for multiple years, okay? So I couldn't diet. I couldn't. It wasn't, it wasn't good for me at all because it just meant that I slipped back into old patterns and I had to accept that context that it was like, okay, I should probably just be eating more food and I should probably just be gaining weight and I should probably be getting okay with this and learning how to rewrite those patterns in my brain rather than dieting. You know, I get people who say to me like, oh, I've got four vacations coming up in the next 12 weeks and I've got this and I've got that, and I've got this. Then why are you going to diet? Okay, if you want to enjoy yourself on these vacations, and you don't want to track and you don't want to train, you don't want to exercise, why are we dieting? Why are we dieting if we've got all these social events that you don't want to track at, that you just want to be able to go fucking balls to the wall and drink a lot at? What's the point? You're just going to get really pissed off with yourself because you're not going to make any progress and you're going to waste your time. Why not stay in a build or even stay at maintenance here and just focus on strength gains in the gym for the next eight weeks, get out the other side of that, and then we can diet after that. Oh, because I want to look good for the holidays. Well, the next one's in four weeks. So you should have fucking thought about that four months ago. Okay, so accept your context and accept that there's not always the right time to do things and that if we find the right time to do things, if we find something that's going to be a bit more beneficial as a context for you, then you're going to have so much more success. And success is really good. It makes you feel really good. 
The second thing is make sure that you are eating high protein. And this one goes out to a lot of the female listeners um, because a lot of female clients that I start working with who haven't been tracking macros potentially or haven't really been paying enough attention to their nutrition, their protein isn't high enough, okay? Um, You know, I used to have, when I was doing a lot of face-to-face, I used to have women come in for consults and I'd say to them, okay, what protein are you eating in a day? And they'd say, okay, well, for breakfast, I have one boiled egg. And I was like, that's okay. And then we get to lunch and it was a couple of slices of cheese and maybe a tin of tuna and I was like well you know what that's better that's better we're getting there and then for dinner it was kind of like half a chicken breast I was like that's not enough and it's not okay so if you're dieting you need to be looking at whatever your body weight is in kilograms I want you to times that by 2.2 and that is the amount of protein that you should be eating in grams if it's pounds if you're American just times it by one so if you are weighing 50 kilograms I want you to times your body weight by 2.2, and that is your grams, so 110 grams of protein. Similarly, if you're looking at it in pounds, you're 110 pounds, then it's one, okay? So whatever you look at it in, kilos, pounds, do that, okay? Um, We need high protein. We need high protein to be able to preserve muscle mass, to help with recovery, to help with satiety, and also because it actually has a really high thermic effect of food. So actually eating more protein does burn more calories over the course of the day. It's going to be a little bit negligible. Like it's not going to make a massive, 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 massive difference, but any little difference is going to help, right? Especially when you're looking at that energy out component, especially if you're someone who's maybe their context isn't the best for dieting because they can't move too much. Guess what? That's going to be a real helpful thing for you. So to repeat that again, if you are doing it in kilograms, take your body weight, times it by 2.2. That is your protein in grams per day. If you're doing it in pounds, just times it by one. Okay. The final thing is that you need to start addressing food volume. Okay. And this is something that gets me a lot because everybody follows um, the idea of flexible dieting and if it fits your macros. And I love both of these things, but at the same time, the more I get into this industry, the more I fucking hate them because everybody uses flexible dieting as an excuse to eat a burger when they're dieting or to eat like three pieces of sushi or whatever because it fits their calories. But if you are on lower calories and you are getting really hungry, you need to sacrifice a little bit of that food enjoyment for food volume. Okay, so when I diet, I follow the exact same thing in a day, okay? And I'm gonna give you my exact dieting like meal set out that I tend to eat, okay? I tend to diet on around about 25 to 2,800 calories generally. At least I have done the last two times that I've dieted. Um, And the way that I set out my food is that in the morning, I have a bowl of oats with an omelet that is like two eggs and four egg whites. And I mix a little bit of Parmesan cheese in there. And maybe sometimes I'll put some veggies in there as well. So it's a really high volume breakfast. Then that's usually like a pre-workout meal. And I'll then go and train. And then post-training, I'll have a massive salad bowl with some form of lean protein in there, whether it's steak, whether it's chicken, whether it's white fish, whatever. And I'll have half a microwavable packet of rice with that. And then in the afternoon, I'll usually have like a protein bar and some fruit. So I'll buy some pineapple or I'll buy some watermelon or I'll buy some berries. That's quite a lot of fruit that I tend to then like eat for that snack. Um, and I'll have that with then kind of like a, a bottle of water. And I make sure I go through a bottle of water in the middle of the afternoon because I tend to forget about hydration the later I get in the day. So I'll then have that. And then for dinner, what I'll tend to do is again, I will have like a big bowl of salad or I'll make a massive stir fry of vegetables and I'll mix that with some lean protein as well. And then for dessert after that, I'll get one of those protein yogurts. Like uh, you may have like Chobani in your country. You may have Dan one, whatever it is, like high protein Greek yogurt. And I'll mix that with sugar-free jelly and uh, fruit and then if I really need to at the end if I'm sort of lagging on calories or protein or whatever I'll have a protein bar or something like that Um, 
and that's my day of eating basically lots of fruit lots of veggies lots of lean proteins um and i don't really change that too much because i'm quite a boring person i will admit i'm quite a boring person when it comes to food i can eat the same thing every day and be very very happy with it because i like my routines um but even with that template it's just showing you you need to be prioritizing food volume okay like don't go stickling over like half a gram of carbs or whatever just so that you magically like hit your calories to the exact gram just hit your cows, hit your protein and eat a lot of food volume, you know, get lots of veggies in, get lots of fruits in, you know, sugar-free jelly is incredible for that sort of stuff, you know, have like sugar-free sodas and stuff like that in the evening when you want like sweet cravings and, you know, have fruits, frozen berries are incredible, I fucking love frozen berries, you know, there's lots of like high protein recipes out there that you can make, just yeah, you know, really focus on food volume um, because food enjoyment will come. You'll get refeed days, you'll get uh, diet breaks and stuff like that. You can give them to yourself if you train yourself or, you know, I give my clients diet breaks every kind of intervals of between four and eight weeks or so, depending on the client, depending on the context. So make sure that you're utilizing those as tools to be able to have that food enjoyment. And remember that, yeah, you can fit chocolate into your day. That's absolutely fine. You know, if you have your dessert and you have, instead of the jello, you're like kind of full in the evening, you go, you know, what? I'm just going to have two squares of chocolate and I'm going to have that with my protein yogurt, whatever, like that's fine. But make sure that food volume over the course of the day is something that you are paying attention to. The final thing that I want to give a bit of advice on is muscle gain and building phases. Um, so the first piece of advice here is set performance goals because building muscle takes a long time and it's really fucking boring and it can be really, really easy to lose sight of the end goal. Believe me, you know, over the last two years, almost um, like pretty much since January 2022, I've spent eight, maybe nine weeks in a deficit out of that entire time. That's it. Uh, and to be honest with you, I'm quite bored. Uh, I am. I'm, I'm quite bored of the whole muscle gain goal at this point. Um, you know, we've made some really good progress. I'm currently 94 kilos, which is the heaviest I've ever been. And I'm still pretty lean. Like I can still see my abs and all that sort of stuff, uh, which is freaking awesome because I started this at like 82 kilos. Uh, and I'd probably, if I got to as lean as I was at 82 kilos previously now, it would probably be at like 88 kilos. So I've gained, you know, six kilos of muscle or so over that time. Um, as a projected total anyway, it might not be that much, but you know, which would be freaking awesome in 18 months for somebody who's at my stage of lifting. Um, but it's gotten a bit boring. It has. And, you know, part of that has been that I've been trying to set these performance goals around like my squat, my deadlift, my bench press, all that sort of stuff, my chin-ups. But I keep getting injured because my sleep's been really shit. I've had a really high stress year. Um, I've been very busy. I haven't been setting boundaries for myself in my business like I told all of you to do. Um, and so my performance goals have kind of suffered a little bit. And I found it really difficult then to kind of keep my eyes on the idea of just gaining muscle. Because to me, it's like, well, I'm just kind of getting bigger and heavier now. And I'm, I'm not enjoying that. Um, and I don't have anything to then sort of set that aside with. So, you know, if you can set performance goals and keep yourself healthy while doing that, you know, bringing up your squat and seeing that improve every single week, pretty much like it then keeps your eyes on the, on the prize a little bit more of kind of like, okay, this is sick. This is happening. And then that muscle gains kind of going on in the background as well. And then you come around to like a year's gone past and you diet down and you're like, whoa, okay, I look unreal. You know, that that's kind of what we want to do. So we want to be able to set those performance goals alongside things to keep things a bit more interesting, to keep the focus solely away from, away from being solely on body composition and just make sure that we've got something else that we're kind of bringing up alongside and it doesn't have to be the big free weight movements. It could be a hack squat. You know, it could be a chest press machine that you've got at the gym. It could be your single arm pull down, whatever it is. Like make sure that you are logging your performance in these exercises so that A, you make sure that you're adding intensity and volume every week and B, you make sure that you are actually progressing uh, in other states as well. 
The second thing is liquid calories are your best friend. So when you're dieting, liquid calories are your worst enemy. But when you're building, like don't be afraid to have smoothies. Don't be afraid to have coconut water when you train. You know, don't be afraid to get milky lattes and stuff when you have coffee, like depending on how high your calories are. But, you know, for me, for example, my calories are 4,200 a day at the moment, which is freaking rough. Um, you know, first world problems, obviously. But like it's for me, it's hard eating that much food. So I do, you know, I, I have coffees with instead of having long blacks i have lattes you know i have coconut water while i train for the extra carbs which then helps with my performance anyway which is awesome you know i drink a bit of juice now you know i have like cordial we call it over here i guess it'd be like kool-aid in the states maybe and like squash in the uk uh, i don't know maybe you guys just have cordial maybe it's a different thing i don't know but like it's basically like sugary kind of flavored water essentially um and that helps me get my calories in you know at the end of the day sometimes i drink shakes so that i can get liquid calories in and get more protein in um so don't be afraid to go down the liquid calorie route with some of these things as well just to make sure that you are um that you're getting the food in, getting the calories in, okay? Like liquid calories while you are building are one of your best friends. Just make sure that you're not entirely relying on them so that you are still eating food and your digestion is happy to actually eat food as well. Um, and then the final thing with muscle gain and building is stop obsessing over supplements, okay? Stop obsessing over supplements. I get people being like, I'm in a build phase. How much creatine do I need to maximize muscle growth? How much L-glutamine do I need? How much this, how much this, how much this? The main thing that is gonna grow the muscle for you is eating enough fucking food and training fucking hard, okay? That is what's going to grow the muscle for you, okay? So train hard, eat well, sleep well, and then you can add supplements on top to then supplement, it's in the name, that routine, okay? Make sure you're eating enough calories, make sure you're training hard enough and make sure you're sleeping well. And then yeah, things like creatine are going to help. They're gonna draw more nutrients into the muscle. They're gonna help with recovery. They're gonna help with performance. You're gonna be able to lift a little bit heavier potentially. Um, but those things don't really do shit if you haven't already got a strong base below you. Um, and then I suppose as well, to add to all this again, like a general tip for you with building phases is, don't keep looking at when the next dieting phase is going to come, okay? Just set your building phase timeline, accept that it is this timeline, and accept that you're probably going to have to be a little bit comfortable being uncomfortable, okay? Like, you are probably going to have to gain a little bit more weight than you'd like. You're going to get a little bit softer than you'd like. You're going to get a little bit pudgier than you'd like. You're going to be lying in bed one day, and your girlfriend's going to come over and stop squeezing your fat around your hips and going, Jack, oh my God, what's happened? Um, you know, trauma. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Um, but, you know, like, these, these things happen, okay? It's easier for you to then take that off than it is for you to grow new muscle tissue okay is the way that i always put it to clients so accept the fact that you know over the winter months and stuff if you're building you're probably going to have to put on a bit more body fat than you'd like but what is the problem with putting on a little bit more body fat that you'd like maybe once maybe twice in your life um and ending up being able to build enough muscle to then shape the perfect physique that you have envisioned for yourself what is the problem with doing that when the alternative is just kind of building for three weeks, getting scared and going back and never changing? Okay, I know which one I would prefer. And for me, you know, I've been doing this massive build really over the last like 18 months. It's gonna continue up until October. I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'm heavier than I've ever been. I am the heaviest weight I have ever been. But you know what? This is, and this is coming from somebody who suffered from body dysmorphia um, and a few other eating disorders that I won't name because I don't wanna trigger people. But you can go and listen to a podcast on this. I did do a podcast called uh, Fitness Nearly Ruined My Life. And I do have an episode coming out soon with Sheridan Sky at some point. Um, I don't know when she's putting that out, where I talked about all this sort of stuff. So you can go and listen to those for the ins and outs. But this is coming from somebody who suffered from multiple eating disorders. This has been so healing for me in that aspect because I am. I'm the heaviest I've ever been. And I do not look 
how I pictured myself to look at this body weight. I'm 94 kilograms. I look a lot better than I thought I would ever look at this body weight. Okay. It's never as bad as you think it's going to be. And even if it was, even if it was, you can just take it all off again. Okay. It it can happen. All right. So allow yourself to get a little bit comfortable with being a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and again, nobody's telling you that you have to become obese. Nobody's telling you that you need to go on my 600 pound life. You know, it's chances are, it's probably going to be having an extra two to five pounds of body fat, you know, that you didn't have before, which can then come off again in like three to five weeks of consistent adherent dieting. Uh, and in that, that kind of scenario, you've probably got more muscle than you did beforehand. So you now actually look better okay, you actually look better. Like for me, when I was 72 kilos and an absolute stick, you know, I look a lot better than I did now. Okay, I had no chest, I had no shoulders, I had no arms. All I had was legs and abs, you know, and now I'm in the 90 something kilos and it's the first time really where I'm like, wow, my chest, my shoulders, my back, everything's grown. Um, So set a timeline, stick to it and don't obsess over when the next dieting phase is, okay? Um, I'm gonna wrap this episode up here. Thank you so much for listening. I could go on. I've got so many more things that are popping into my head. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review. I'd appreciate it so, so much. I love it when I see the reviews. It makes me feel so happy uh, and it really warms my heart as well seeing you guys share the podcast on social media, saying you're listening like genuinely I thought the only person who'd ever listen to this is going to be my mum, and that she'd even give up after a couple of episodes so the fact that people worldwide are listening to this every time I upload one it makes me feel so grateful and so thankful thank you so much for listening I'll be back with another episode very very soon I hope you all keep well keep safe uh, and apply some of this advice yeah cheers <laughs>